Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. My name is Katrina Stanton. I'm Inyash Brodsky. And I'm Steven Zuber. And today we are... We are talking about... <laughs> we are talking about important topics that don't make it to the main stage in uh, the public conversation. So things that are not covered in the U.S. presidential debates. And, but should be. But should be. That's right. I. But maybe should be. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That'll be up to you and us. <laughs> I will uh, go ahead and caveat that last week's or last episode was supposed to be this, but I insisted that we wait until we had a chance to discuss it with our local Less Wrong group and get some ideas and... Uh, yeah, so now we have their ideas all written down, and um, we are ready to just read them out to you. Ready, set, go. Straight from the horse's mouth. Okay. What would, we, what would we like to start with? So I asked them for different topics that, that should be discussed and are very important, but are not. And I started off with the first couple. Okay. Animal welfare. Animal welfare? Wow, that, that is not at all related to things we've just been talking about a whole lot recently. <laughs> It's incredibly important. It affects more than our entire popu- human population. Yeah. And it affects a lot of the human population. I don't think a candidate would touch that. And certainly major newspapers don't. Yeah. Why, why do you think that candidates don't want to touch that? I think it's because so many people eat meat. And I mean, I could go straight to the because the farm lobby is massive. Right. Because it is. The United States does sort of worship farmers. And yeah, we're really into farmers. There are all sorts of different different special ex- exemptions for farmers from things like the Clean Water Act, for example. It blew my mind. I had to, to verify it when I was told that if they don't make their expected yield in crops, the government just pays them what they would have expected to make. I oh, thought, yeah. Farm thought, subsidies. Yeah, but that, that, that whole thing blew my mind. Like, so wait, if you have a bad year, like, you get paid anyway? But how does that... At all capitalistic. Because but, we love our farmers. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's a thing. Not shitting on farmers. I mean, they, they make our food and we eat that to live. So good Except on them. Except let's shit on some of them. <laughs> all right. <laughs> because, because they're irresponsible and causing a great deal of harm. The the animal farmers in particular you're talking about. Yeah, those people. I think... Stop part, it. I think, I think the problem is that uh, people really like meat. And as long as they don't have to see how it is produced, they just want it as cheaply as possible. That's true, and I, I, exactly, I don't think it would be politi- politically expedient for a politician to get up there and say, I'm going to make this a central thing, we're going to cut back on meat production because it's a horror show. Um, well, not right now, increase, but it could be. Eventually. Or increase some sort of regulations or to, in, in order to... I, I feel like this maybe even has been an issue in the past where people are talking about lifting up family farms and small farms mm-hmm. um, because people actually are concerned about that in the political world. But it's because of the small farmers, not because of the animals. Right, exactly. Yeah, no. that makes sense. Uh, I I think it is... I mean, this will probably be the case for pretty much everything we talk about here, is that it's not going to win a lot of easy votes to bring up some of these issues. Okay, And so, so there's there's like not enough time. You know, you only have 30 minutes to talk. You're not going to spend five of it on something that's going to win you 0.2% of the vote, right? Okay, so, so it's because... So as far as the candidates are concerned, right. it's because because they're in it to get votes. Because I think so. that's what candidates are always very focused on, and I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. But what about what about like newspapers? Or why doesn't the populace care? Why doesn't the populace care? In my experience they do, but they Why they, do they care so minorly that exactly. they don't even wanna talk about it or think about it? I think that at least the people I've talked to, they're used to eating meat. Um, 
and you know, so you try and bring up how I like the word horror show just because it, it paints a good picture. Mm-hmm. Um, how nasty the process is that gets their food from you know birth to their plate, and they're like, I don't want to think about that. I just want to have dinner, and I'm like, well, I mean, I I get where they're coming from, but I don't agree with it. You know, right. like it's it's not convenient or comfortable to think about these things, but uh, it can be really important. Mm-hmm. So that is. But I guess as why as far as newspapers and stuff don't care, I have no idea. They do, I because not enough people do, right? Yeah, I suppose they're trying to sell newspapers, which I guess are still an actual thing. So <laughs> there's probably a lot of people working at the newspapers themselves who are of also of the opinion that the animals really don't matter. Yeah. Also, I want to make sure that when I say newspapers, I'm also referring to online. Um, all sorts of different news and media sources. I was teasing and making fun of tree wear newspapers that I don't know if are super popular anymore. Did you call it tree wearing? Tree wear, as opposed to like. Ah. <laughs> I see. I, I thought you meant that they're wearing trees. I did too. Like oh. they're like yeah, wearing some some tree paper. I'm like, but what is that? They're just paper. What is the wearing at the ink? Anyway, <laughs> glad we cleared that up. Yes. The other thing that actually I think has been getting some minor, minor traction is antibiotic resistance. Mm, yes. But it's been a huge problem for a long time, and people actually die of infection. I think it's been getting more than just a little bit of attention. They recently um, passed was, the regulation that you can't have antibiotic soap anymore. Uh-huh, because there was a UN resolution on it. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of attention paid to it in medical circles where doctors have been trying to prescribe uh, antibiotics less often and being very conscientious to tell people, uh, complete your prescription. Don't don't stop halfway yeah. through. Do you think you're going to hear anything out of the major party candidates' mouths on that topic? No, because most people don't know or care about antibiotics. Like I said, I think in the, in the campaign season, it's going to be a lot of popular topics. You know, if, if only 20% of people care about it, maybe 20% is big enough, but 10% of people know what antibiotics are and care or something, right? They're not going to spend time, their their platform time, talking about it. That's mm-hmm. my prediction. Okay. I, I think it's just because a lot of people aren't affected by it yet. Wait until we get our first antibiotic-resistant superbug scouring the country, and then people are going to care a lot. Yeah, I think we, remember, that, that ship might have already sailed. Yeah, do you remember when everybody was really mad at that guy with, I think he had antibiotic-resistant tuberculosis? Yeah. Who wouldn't go into quarantine? Mm-hmm. No, but that's insane. And people were just really mad. They're like, "Oh, that selfish jerk dude with his antibiotic, potentially antibiotic-resistant tuberculosis." I think it turned out that he was it was fine. I haven't heard anything about it since. No, nope. about it. There's no plague. So, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering out loud, or I am wondering out loud, whether Good. or not it makes sense to like force people into quarantine saying like look you don't have a choice we're gonna you're gonna stay at home or we're gonna take you to a hospital where you can't leave until you get better that so that sounds like a really slippery slope but it doesn't sound like the worst idea if implemented if if implemented correctly well we've already been doing it remember ebola earlier Mm -hmm. recently oh yeah yeah that wasn't too long ago when people were really upset about being kept in quarantine um, coming back from Ebola struck areas. I'm going to go home and kill my family and friends. Fuck well, you. Well, they didn't necessarily have Ebola. In fact, a lot of them right. didn't. They just had to stay in quarantine until everyone was sure that they didn't. I'm kind of okay with that. Hmm. And okay. I mean, like, you know, like this guy with potentially antibiotic or uh, potentially resistant TB, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you have a reasonable concern, it's not worth you running out there and risking lots of lives. Right, right, but let's say that you're coming home from visiting your family wherever they're living. You were on a plane with him, and now you have to spend the next two weeks sitting in a quarantined hospital room 
where you can't you can't see anyone, you can't go back to work, your bills are piling up. That that is a major uh, inconvenience to your life. Some people might lose their jobs because what you might have Ebola. There's a small chance you caught it. I would have to, if or I not were, Ebola, but tuber- tuberculosis. If I were to endorse a bill that would require this sort of thing, I would say it's like jury duty, where you can't be fired or lose wages or something, right? Well, I guess jury duty, you get like what fifty bucks after three days or something. Yeah, it's not. But let's pretend it was enough. So, like, yeah, you, especially if you're gonna be gone for a month or something, right? They can't ruin your life, but it does make sense, like. No, I'm pretty sure I'm fine. I've got just a bit of a fever. I'm going to go back to work. That seems also hugely irresponsible. I mean, well, would you be okay with being locked up in prison for a month if you shared a plane with someone with tuberculosis? Not literally prison. Well, because it's basically prison, except without criminals. Do I get Wi-Fi? <laughs> I, yes. <laughs> don't you get Wi-Fi yes. in prison, though? No. You don't get phones and... Like, I'm not, not like to play with all the time. You don't get free internet access. Why not? Because you're in your cell with no, things that, like, you're... I don't know. I don't know what the policy is. I imagine it's different at different facilities. Yeah. But um, to talk about uh, to talk about antibiotic resistance again. Yes. This is a situation where we have these um, uh, public health responses, including quarantine and, and all sorts of other testing, test, being tested for Zika right now mm-hmm. um, in areas that have been affected. So, but an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Mm-hmm. So, but we're not hearing a lot about a lot of the preventive techniques. I, I have a question for you regarding to how long of a quarantine you're willing to put up with. Because <laughs> I, I recall, I don't know, I think this was in the 80s, there was an actual uh, proposition that anyone with HIV be permanently quarantined. So, so that, I mean, that sounds excessive because you can take steps, like you can go to work and have a life with HIV and not risk, you know, it's not like airborne. Right, right. But if, was, if if AIDS was airborne, mm-hmm. and you you know you just got it and you were dead in a month, mm-hmm. then it would kind of make sense. That right? would be a completely different disease, is right? What so, it would be. So, but I mean, that's you know, like if we're talking some superbug or something, or you know, maybe crazy TB, whatever. You're, you're thinking right? Ebola again. Yes. So except Ebola was not airborne. Sorry, I take that back. Well, I mean, so, super, super Ebola, right? Like, so <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, we can turn it up to eleven and say, like, if you're patient zero for zombie virus right it might be worth killing you over right Right. so like i mean then we can scale from there to like you have a cold we're gonna hold you at gunpoint in prison and like figure out some place in the middle to where it makes sense right yeah uh i how long would i like to be held i mean depends on what i had so like if i had ebola right but the problem isn't necessarily that you have it it's that you might have it so like if i might have ebola i'm not sure how bad ebola is or how much it's i guess what the survival rate is or something but I think it was a 20% lethality rate? It was, it was higher, I think. Higher than that? It was over half. Oh, wow. Okay. I, would, I would absolutely be okay being held for a month if it meant that there was a chance I could kill one or two people that I interacted with. Uh-huh. Um, so, interesting to listen to you guys talk about the sensational side of of the idea of antibiotic resistance or, you know, because... People absolutely will talk about superbugs and really get into it. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, talking about preventative care is not super interesting. Why do you think that is? Just imagining zombie virus is way more exciting than, like, <laughs> than like the new soap that helps you wash okay. your hands better. Okay, so it's sensational. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I also think it has to do with uh, being able to see the costs. The same reason that regulations that help you know just one industry a lot and harm everybody else a tiny bit generally get passed because you don't see the fact that uh, all the prices for your food went up by one or two cents, but you do see that all of a sudden you can't buy 
this item that you love for super cheap anymore. Well, here's something where you definitely can, I guess you can measure it and it does affect people's lives. Um, a related topic, which is... Wait, can we stick on the disease for a second? This is actually also no, is. on disease. Okay. That's how related it is. Okay. Doctors not washing their hands. Oh, yeah. Which is still a problem. <laughs> which <laughs> like, is, I know, like, which is a huge, which is an easily preventable and significant cause of death mm-hmm. in hospitals it's by infection. Like, this was breathtaking emerging medicine 140 years ago, and now it's... Uh, it definitely should be out there. There, there is. I know there was a push in, I guess, in ten to fifteen year old medical training to like, hey, wash your hands in front of the patient when you get into the room. You might have just come from washing your hands, but do it anyway, where they can watch. That way, they know you did it, and you know you did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that sort of thing makes a lot of sense. The fact that it's still so a problem yes, is kind are, of mind blowing. Again, there are really easy solutions for that, but um, people don't like to ask doctors to wash their hands. Right. Um, because they're, and, and people have different theories for why that might be. One of them is that they're, you know, high class. Well, and like the doctor's the authority, you're going there to exactly. ask their judgment. And it's like, hey, can you do me a favor really quick and wash your disgusting, filthy hands? <laughs> <laughs> you're a dirty person. Don't touch me. <laughs> you yeah. are not touching me until I, I see you wash your hands. I think so even there might though, be some stigma on that. Yes, definitely. I think even though people... Sensation. People focus on like the sensational diseases, the zombie viruses, and Ebola and whatever. But I think just the fact that our uh, our viral our viral and bacteria load is so low nowadays has really radically transformed our society. Back in the day, when you would have ten children and maybe have four full grown adult children, you'd give birth ten times, but only have four children. Uh, there was much less, I feel, investment in children done. And because you just couldn't put that much care into something that was going to likely die, you know? And so I think the human race has as a result of the fact that we generally expect everyone to live all the way into adulthood gotten a lot better. We put a lot more care into children. We have a lot fewer children. So why are we not taking better care of our children and immune compromised people? by pumping up these issues to mainstream. Well, I think it, because we are so good right now, people are used to things, to everyone being healthy and people not dying. And I've, I'm worried if we ever got back to the point where there's enough disease load, not, not even anything, you know, super Ebola or anything, but just something like some of the major childhood diseases coming back and killing maybe 5-10% of children at a, at a regular uh, basis that we could possibly see a lot of slide back into the battle times where people don't don't care about their kids as much and uh, society is not as kind and as caring. I wonder if there's an outrage factor there because things that, that people do talk about, including candidates, are people not getting vaccines. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's because people can be outraged at their fellow citizens. Mm. Because I think that people really like being outraged at their fellow oh, yeah. citizens. There's a lot of I think it's the drug of there. choice nowadays. There, it is drug. I, I think that's a good use of the word drug of choice, where people just, you know, will find stuff to infuriate them and just get off on it. But th- it does sort of make sense to be uh, inclined to have a conversation about vaccinating your kids, right? It's bad for them not to vaccinate them. That is, let me make that clear. Um, <laughs> and it, it puts people who are immunocompromised at risk, right? So you, you lose too many uh, vaccinated kids and you lose herd immunity. Relating to vaccines, actually, I think, you know, so like it took, what, 
two or three decades of concerted effort to eradicate smallpox from, from the world. Mm-hmm. And it's and the only disease that's been eradicated from the world? 2018 is expected to be the last year that polio will be around. I think there's only mm. been 67 reported cases this year. Yeah. Perfect. It was like 360 something last year. So polio is on its way out. Which well, is cool. as a highly privileged, um, developed country person, I haven't thought about polio for my entire life. Okay. My grandfather had polio. Yeah, yeah. there's still That's some people alive nowadays. <laughs> they, grandparents all grandparents <laughs> had polio, but I didn't. As far as the conversation level it's getting, I haven't, I don't, I should make it clear at the outset that as far as the current candidates, I don't follow that closely at all. So I'm not sure what they're, what the current candidates are currently saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched the debate. They didn't actually get into that many topics. No, although the debate was kind of fun to watch, I will say. I watched a few minutes of it. I I really wish that we could have Donald Trump every year just like as a jester and without any actual, you know, uh, chance that he'd get elected. So the goal for this podcast or this episode was to not talk about the candidates. Sorry. Yes. No, my bad. It's okay. We should cut that. Well, we'll just, we just won't go any further on that. Okay. I will um, say, as long as we're on the topic, this uh, can this We're can not on now. the topic. <laughs> the Saturday Night Live version of the debate was less funny than the real one. <laughs> that's but, true. All right, that, that's all I'm going to say. That is true. So, There's just a whole lot of medical, medical ones. Apparently, anything involving medicine, um, anti-aging research. That was the big one I was going to bring up. Yeah, neurodegenerative disease research. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff that would you know, potentially greatly improve human life. There is at least some research being done in the neurodegenerative diseases, but there is no one... Okay, there are very few people willing to say, we have to find a cure for aging and get on the shit now. And I think we're, we're getting close to the point where we could actually launch some sort of aging Manhattan project and, and get at least a good toehold on this problem. Start start things, and there's still no one talking about it because I don't know. I talk I talk to sometimes people, especially uh, when you talk to religious people, or when I've talked to religious people. There's always this feeling that it is against God's will, and that humans shouldn't be immortal. And even a lot of people who aren't religious are like, "Well, who wants to live more than their 80 years? You know, that's just obscene." Do you think that people are comfortable with diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, which primarily affect the very old. No, I, I mean, there is research on those being done, which I am grateful for. There but, is, but um, I know somebody, oh gosh, I don't remember if she was with the Parkinson's or Alzheimer's Foundation, mm-hmm. but she was talking about how research for, for new cures is, they don't even fund that. Really? Yes. Um, what they turn their money towards is things like dealing with Alzheimer's. Um, having good life with Alzheimer's, mm. just stuff that already exists because it's, they get more bang for their buck that way. That's interesting. In terms of actually improving people's lives. Yeah, every year or two, I do hear something about like, we, that we've made another step forward on possibly treating Alzheimer's. I think people do care a lot about those, those diseases, especially Alzheimer's. I think I've never met anybody who's relaxed about the topic. I mean, it, it's impacted the, almost everyone. Right. Yeah. Well, and just the idea of losing yourself while still being able to walk around and do stuff right. is terrifying for everybody. Alzheimer's so, really terrifies me because it's the thing that can kill my brain before I can get frozen. Exactly. Yeah. There, speaking of like funding cures, though, there was an interesting, um, I think it was Will McCaskill, the author of Doing Good Better and the founder of the Center for Effective Altruism, 
I don't think this was his his proposal, but he I heard the idea from him of not necessarily funding research directly, but giving a huge cash prize to the group who comes across like a cure, mm-hmm. whether it's a cure for a disease or a new antibiotic or whatever. That way you're not blowing a million fortunes on everybody who wants to try their hand at researching it, but the, per, but the group that does get there gets a big payout. They do have a Methuselah prize right now, I believe. Is that a... Methuselah, the old age... Yes. Old dude in the Bible. Yes, the, the oldest living, supposedly, the oldest living dude, something like 900 whatever years. Oh, because he's still alive now? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> the, the oldest lived, I guess, not living. Uh, sorry. He, he was born in the future, according to the Bible, and he's still alive. <laughs> he, uh, but the prize was for someone that can, uh, what is it, create a mouse, or keep a mouse alive at, for ten times longer than the normal mouse lifespan, I think. Oh, that's a safe oh. time to, like, plan out your bet then, right? So, like, yeah, I'll pay you in 50 years when you've proved that you can do that. <laughs> um, was that, was the Methuselah Prize given up by the government, or by the Methuselah Foundation, like nope. Aubrey de Grey's group? It was, it was a, found, a, per, a private foundation. Okay, yeah, probably the Methuselah Project then. Okay. Um, Aubrey de Grey is the guy doing all that research. Yeah. Uh, awesome guy. I think he's close to 50 now, and he looks like he's 80. It's kind of interesting. He's, he's oh, anti-aging. Geez. He doesn't look unhealthy. He just looks super old. He's got this old Gandalf beard. It's, he's, I think he's he hasn't old. shaved in 40 years. Yeah. 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 Since, he, since he could not have to start shaving, right? Right. Um, no razor has ever touched that face. <laughs> I, uh... But I, other than his beard, he's a pretty awesome guy. Check out Aubrey de Grey. I'm sure he's got a TED Talk and YouTube videos. In fact, we'll find one. So yeah. mm-hmm. check it Sounds, out on the website. Uh, his, his, uh, his charity, the one that does research on anti-aging, is the second one that I give to behind Mary in t- total, uh, you know, dollars per year. Right on. Which, I mean, still isn't very much. I, I don't give as much as I probably should. I find it kind of disgraceful that it's still a private thing and not something that we as a society are working on. Because people will throw money at all sorts of, you know, rare diseases for cute puppies. But everyone, it's it's a stalling tactic. Everyone is eventually going to die of aging if we don't figure out this aging thing. I heard something really interesting hmm. um, the other day on the radio that uh, pharmaceutical companies are not interested in developing vaccines. Okay. Anymore because they're one-time use, and since there's such a great deal of time and money and resources that go into creating a vaccine or creating any kind of product, that the only way that they can really recoup that is with something that people use regularly, mm-hmm. like heart medication, yeah, for example. For treating chronic conditions. Yeah. Which is another freaking reason we need to make research less costly. Mm-hmm. Pull back the FDA a little bit. Yep. Well, that sure is political. <laughs> well, so <laughs> it is, but at least it's not red or blue political. Is it? It is. It is. Yes. Oh, okay. I think it is. Not intentionally. Because usually, um, I, usually our, I guess our red side is the anti-FDA side, and our blue side is the pro-FDA side. I'm not anti-FDA. I'm for... Um, Different. Not having the yes, not Different. having them quite as as rapid and expensive as they are, and it, not just FDA. It's also a legislation problem when the current holders of medicine can sue anyone that makes anything even remotely similar to their thing, and it, that part's so, weird. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna but, have to. That part's also highly discussed. That's true. It is. I know it's weird to have an we're, episode. We're, it's weird to pull, especially Inyash, back. From talking about things that people like to talk about yeah. to talk about things that people don't like to talk about. <laughs> so I will, I will pull back. I'm sorry. Well, the things that people don't like to talk about are tend to be things that we like to talk about. 
So, yeah, that's why that's why I thought that we could exactly. really get some mileage out of it. So we're, I don't know if it's being so much pulled back as it is just being pulled redirected. Or, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just spinning around, bulldog. You're yeah. a bulldog right now in this analogy. Oh, but okay. <laughs> I will start chasing my tail then. <laughs> as far as like the charge that you know, like big pharma likes to treat chronic conditions and not cure them. I mean, there's it's not. It's it's not a like to. It's that the that there is a serious incentive. Oh yeah, sure. And disincentive. But there's also like you know, if you could develop an AIDS vaccine, like that. Would be awesome. I, I think that, I mean, I'm not sure if, uh, not just awesome, like, cause it would be great, but it would be, uh, or great for people. I think it would be a big moneymaker too, even if it was a one-off shot. I guess it's, it's a red flag for me that goes off like a, like an alarm in my head at the charge of, of really anything big pharma this. Uh, well. I see. So I think I, it's, I it's, understand. I mean, that was the first thought in my head when I heard this person, you know, on the radio who's oh. saying that they just do not have the incentive. Right. Like, it's really hard for a business to work on something where they're not going to be able to recoup their costs. Absolutely. Right? No, and that's, and that's, that's a completely, uh, fair and accurate thing to say. Uh, I guess I was, that was just my knee jerk reaction was to mention something that, uh, along those lines. But no, it's certainly true. I mean, imagine if, um, if iPhones lasted for 15 years, right? It'd be really hard to, uh, like, unless you sold them for $5,000 to make any money off of them. So the idea that, you know, your, the new one comes out two years later helps keep those companies in business, right? Yeah. Well, luckily, technology and um, technology and innovation constantly improve. iPhones are the first thing on my mind because there's one sitting in front of me. I'm sure there are better <laughs> examples. There's that saying, the used cars mill, the used cars salesman saying, that was a tongue twister. Um, I don't want to sell you one car for 15 years. I want to sell you three cars over 15 years. Hmm. In that it's more lucrative for me to have you keep coming back and buying more cars than it is for me to sell you one great car. You know what could fix all this? Self-driving. Wait, that wouldn't fix it necessarily. No. No, what? Post-scarcity economy? Yeah. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a thing I bring up because that is also a thing that uh, the chemists don't talk about very often. Because resources are scarce and and human needs are... Infinite. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah, Russell yes. brought that one up. But, right. But uh, we are getting to the point where less and less people are going to be employable in, in the near future because more things are being taken over by automation. And this is a thing that I see people complaining about sometimes, but the politicians do not address it at all. They're like, we're going to bring the jobs back to America. It's like, no, you're not. The yeah. jobs are going to the robots. <laughs> the jobs are gone. Yeah. So, this is actually a great segue into another one yeah, on the list. Yeah, well, I mean, it literally, yeah, that is literally <laughs> a uh, piece on the list. Someone was really excited about the idea of basic income yes. as a potential solution for that issue. I was remembering an article, which I'm going to be sure to link, about how steel jobs are not coming back to the U.S. They haven't really gone anywhere it's just that the industries become so much more efficient mm-hmm. so kind of and interesting yeah it's up there um, that is going to be a huge change for society because we at least in america i don't know how it is in other countries but we very much have an ethos that in order to deserve being alive you should be working and if you aren't working there's there's no reason for you to to collect. Well, that's income. our that's the only way we have to to move around resources. Right? Yeah. Well, it's it's not the only way, but it's the main way that we have. But I think the ethos that you know I was just alluding to is that it's not just that like because it's what we have, it's it's a a character thing. 
you know, if, uh, there's something about the workaday person who goes and labors and that, that's, that's a more meaningful existence. And yeah. that's, uh, that is going the way of the but it's ancient fine. technology, right? But it's fine to be a child who doesn't work and it's fine to be, uh, maybe I guess less fine now. I don't know, but it's fine to be a wife who doesn't work. Right. Well, there's or a, a spouse, lot of work in the house. I guess a spouse who doesn't work. Maybe, maybe some, and it's fine to be an independently wealthy person who doesn't work, mm-hmm. right? It's I I don't know how much of that's tied up in in this value judgment and how much of it is actually related to people literally have to work in order to get right. money. But there's there's because that's be, how we show value. There's going to be a sharp break at some point because it, it, this isn't going to happen overnight. It's going to be slowly. More and more people just cannot participate in the economy because they don't have the skills and the intelligence to do it anymore. And, I mean, everyone is going to get there eventually, right? I am not looking forward to the day when I can no longer contribute anything of value. And at some point, a large mass of people are going to say, we don't want to die of starvation. There's nothing we can do. Give us some resources. And... Other people aren't going to want to give them their resources, I don't think. And I hope it doesn't come down to violence, but what else are you going to do? You're going to either have to convince everyone that we need a basic income, or there's going to be bloodshed, right? Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, so there is something like to be said with like the work for what you have kind of mentality that is out there, whether or not, like, it doesn't really apply to children because they, they don't have, you know, the skills to have jobs. But people look down on people who don't work for a living. Not necessarily in some of the edge cases that you mentioned, but like if you get handouts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even even if it's like legit, people are like, "Oh, I, I, I guess maybe not everybody, but I, I, this is a mentality that I think some people have." Maybe I guess I'm it depends wrong. on who you're getting those handouts from. If it's a family member, or if it's um, through a through a taxpayer program, right? Sure, yeah. I think even I guess I mean if that, that seems known, like a bit of a digression. Unknown entity versus an unknown entity, right? But. Uh, you know, some of the first jobs to go are going to be, um, I guess maybe the, maybe the first one that people are going to really freak out about. Well, I mean, one of those already happened. Like nobody makes cars anymore. Com- yeah. Machines make cars. Mm-hmm. That used to be, you know, a huge employing thing. But we were talking about, uh, automated driving. Right. Yes, the, exactly. The it's like three million jobs right now. Something like that. I know that it's, uh, we were, think... we were seeing, um, Matt actually looked this up kindly mm-hmm. during our meeting and said that more than, I think it was Matt. <laughs> More than 3.5% of our working population works in the trucking industry, which doesn't Jesus. necessarily mean that they're drivers, but I think a lot of people are drivers. Right. And then that doesn't necessarily include taxi drivers and, and people doing other kinds of driving work. I know that just taxis, I think, is something like 230 or 270,000 jobs in the, in the United States. And I don't think that includes Uber and Lyft. Yeah. And so, you know... It'll be in 10, I don't know, we can guess years, but at some point in the not too distant future, in our lifetime is likely, you can either say, well, I can either wait for a human to show up and then have to listen to their radio and tip them and stuff, or I can order an Uber with my car, it'll be here shortly, and I don't have to tip them, and it'll go, you know, I won't have to worry about human error while being behind the, in the back seat. Um, so nobody's going to be, there will be no human drivers for Uber at some point. I asked my Uber driver last time um, I took one <laughs> how he felt about self-driving cars and the automation of Uber, mm-hmm. and he made a frowny 
face and kind of an angry noise and then wouldn't talk about it. Huh. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel like that you won't that your line of work won't exist in you know in some years? Right. That that's a that's a rough question, but it's a it's a reality question, right? I'm trying to think of another industry that's not driving that. I guess uh we were talking briefly too about fast food. Um yes. a lot of these are being are not a lot yet, but there are some test locations that are fully automated. I think they're just drive-throughs. Maybe you can go in and order on a kiosk or something, but you know, even if it's just a drive-through location, that's going to bring plenty of people. Your stuff will be perfect every time if you order it <laughs> properly, and it won't it won't cost uh, whatever. If they program it properly, properly, yeah. and bring in the the correct stuff. Whatever eight dollars an hour times five is per hour to make your food, right? Five employees at eight bucks an hour, roughly, unless it's peak hour and there's more. It's two in the morning and there's less, but and that's the minimum wage currently in Colorado. Is it actually eight bucks? I was throwing out that number as slightly above minimum wage. Oh, I think, yes, I oh. think it's around $8. Go Colorado. You're 47 cents above the last time I looked. Oh. Hmm. Still well below what you need to live, but <laughs> given, given what rental rates are like here. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was kind of thinking about the idea that people aren't really interested in talking about machines and efficiency and innovation mm-hmm. as what is taking people's jobs. Because those are seen as positive things. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, you know, why for a lot of these different subjects, they're not discussed. Um, Tangela suggested that there isn't a good guy, bad guy situation. The, the, the thing that would fit the bill for bad guy is not something that people are willing to put in the bad guy slot. What like machines? innovation. Oh, okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, we, we, um, innovation, increased efficiency, right. doctors, farmers are not people that we want to, we want to put in our bad guy slot. Right. The increased efficiency thing brings back, is reminiscent of our conversation with Robin Hanson, right? Mm-hmm. One avenue this can go down is just having a million times duplicated person running on <laughs> drugs doing all the jobs, right? Yeah. Uh, it's hard to see how that would be shut down. You know, it'd be an innovative solution technology to get us there. And, hey, it's just capitalism when it's happening. You've got... There's an interesting thing that no one is talking about because it seems very far out right now. But mm-hmm. the concept of a singleton to, to avoid these sorts of fates. A singleton being a single entity that has absolute control over the government. Ah. Uh, and, you know, the entirety of the world government, not just one country or one state. Uh, because really the only way you could prevent something like Robin Hanson's Age of M, that he was, if it is technologically possible would be to have a sort of totalitarian uh, ruler that makes it impossible to do anywhere. They don't have to... It doesn't have to be a single ruler. Yeah, I was going to ask you... It just has to be be a unified... It just has to be a unified regulatory system. So is it like a a group of people, or is it one supervillain with a ray gun on Mars? (laughs) I believe a group of people would be okay as long as they were able to stay uh, unified. Robin Hansen mentioned that the, you know, when we were like, wow, it seems kind of weird that people would be cool with killing themselves every day. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like, yeah, there are weird people out there. But at first, there's not really enough weird people that they can do things if if they've been told that they can't do it. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? It only needs to be one person that's okay with being killed every day. Not really. Not really if the vast majority of people are the ones who are making the rules. Right. So it can be as long as it's, as long as the majority of people are making the rules in that case. Yes, but all you need is one small country like uh, North Korea that says, eh, go ahead, do whatever you want with this technology. 
and then they will take outcompete everybody else right. with I'm their saying, robot humans. That's why I said it just doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be like a, a group of clones or a single person with a ray gun on Mars. Mm-hmm. It can be just most people using what they think is common sense in order but with the power to then um, enforce that worldwide. Yes. Right? Right. Yeah. The the power to enforce on everyone worldwide is really the important part. And I think that is something that we will at some point have to talk about, even though no one wants to talk about it, because that's basically saying, I think that we should install a tyranny that can control everything. I've never really seen the problem with that. Or Assuming the ruling body was cool about it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's always the problem, yeah, right? <laughs> but like, Assuming an, an that... all-powerful king would be awesome if the king wasn't a dick all the time. <laughs> right. So, I mean, then, as long then no as the king to... never made any mistakes, really. Exactly. You fuck up one time when you're all-powerful, that can be a pretty bad fuck-up. Well, there are, you know, organizations like EU, mm-hmm. right, who are now getting a lot of referendums thrown at them. Mm-hmm. But um, even the EU doesn't have that much power over individual member states. And people can just no, leave, as it turns out. It, it does turn out that people can just leave. So, like, you couldn't... this The, the singleton... I'm assuming the singleton you position could. wouldn't work if people could just, like, I'm opting out. No, you yeah. are not allowed to opt out. So, that sounds like a... That doesn't like a hard sale. <laughs> right? It, it sounds desirable if done perfectly, but it would be a hard sale, I think, Well, it's... Um, or you could do a... What you can offer as part of the group, is so great mm-hmm. that opting out so that a few weirdos can copy themselves a million times mm-hmm. is just not worth it. Mm, right? there's, there's no such thing. There will always be someone who thinks it's worth it. <laughs> Even if they just want to be... I say someone. I mean, like, a country. There's not going to be a country that thinks it's worth it. There is... A, depending on how powerful out. the technology is, you could have a large town of people. I, I, I don't think you need to be... I don't think you need to be singleton-minded. I, in well, order to make this work. <laughs> I, I like that we disagree on this, because then this is something we can actually talk about, unlike the, the people, the politicians who are not willing to talk about that. Uh, whatever, let's move on to the next topic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait, sarcasm? It was sarcasm, but also not. Yeah. You, you do not want to spend very long on this particular topic. I'm interested in spending at least two more minutes on it. Okay. I Ma- think, maybe. Okay, why don't, why don't you weigh in? I'm I'm sort of on the fence. That's why I'm, I'm interested to hear more about this. Uh, this is the first, maybe the second time I've heard of singletons, and the first time I've heard it spelled out in detail. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious what the strong case is for it. The strong case for it is: uh, Have you read Meditations on Moloch by Scott Alexander. Alexander? It's been on my list for a while. I got through half of it at one point, and then my phone cl- deleted my bre- my open tabs, and I never oh. found it again. Okay, it's, <laughs> well, I mean, it's probably his most powerful work, at least so far. But it's also not a very accessible one. You have to have already read him a bit in his other topics to really get it. But uh, what it basically comes down to is coordination failures are um, slowly driving us to destroy uh, our values in order to get economic uh, gains. It's a lot like the Three Bodies at Mitanni story, where in order to survive, you have to give up a little thing that you value in order to get a little bit of uh, economic advantage. And as everyone is doing that, it is kind of a race to the bottom. It's like now you cannot have a single... Well, most people cannot have a single earner household anymore both parents have to work because that is how much the cost of living has gone up. And part of the reason the cost of living has gone up is because is because so many houses do have uh, two uh, two incomes. And so it drives up the cost of education, drives up the cost of housing, drives up the cost of every, everything so that you can't have single earner houses anymore. And all things considered, for each individual household, it's better to have two incomes. 
but uh, in taking as a society as a whole, now that everyone has to work if to do to pay the same amount of bills that uh, only one person had to work for before is kind of a downside. And so it is sort of it is this sort of coordination problem that you keep trading off more and more things, and eventually you get to like an age of M thing where you're trading off even the ability to uh, feel love because that takes away from time you could be working. <laughs> right. You're trading uh, away your ability to have to be in awe of art because that is again an emotion you could be using to be in awe of your wonderful uh, accounting algorithm that you've put together instead. And so uh, a singleton is a way to combat Moloch, who is the 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 uh, the decay. metaphor, yeah, the metaphor in the story um, that drives everything to this ground state. Uh, a singleton would be a way to say, say, "No, stop! I am the czar of working, or whatever, and we are not going to go down this road, even though it would be individually better for each one of you. Because if everyone does it, it's worse as a collective for all of us." As far as uh, Slate Star Codex and Scott Alexander, I'll say really quick, I was reading his review of Age of N, mm-hmm. and he talks about Nick Land's, I think he wrote a book or something, mm. uh, where it's kind of like if Age of M went poorly, and Age of M already looks kind of bleak, so yeah. uh, it kind of painted the picture that I think maybe he mentions the, maybe, I'm assuming Alexander mentions it again in the Meditations of Moloch, because it sounds like it was going straight there, yeah, yeah. where everything's automated, in fact... There's not even people around anymore because the industry is just running itself. Yeah. So I broke uh, my back raising Moloch to the heavens, and all I got was this Disneyland without any children. Oh, man. That's so, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so is Permutation City what happens if the Age of M goes great? I have, yes, I'm not, I'm not I think Permutation so. City. Not, not necessarily. Permutation City is, well, in my opinion, it's a horror novel. But uh, it, it's, it's definitely a much brighter take on the Age of M scenario. I'm not as well read in science fiction as I should be, so everyone, judge me until everyone, I correct um, it. Well, fiction like, isn't a thing for everyone, yeah. No, it is yeah. It is for me, it's just I haven't gotten around to it. They're able to get to a point where they have infinite processing power, pretty much, and they can do whatever the hell they want for forever. Yeah. That doesn't sound so bad. So, so <laughs> people, I'm seeing how it's a horror story. Well, oh. so people... You, you oh, gotta read it. Yeah. All right, no spoilers. <laughs> um, people are able to focus and get mastery on all sorts of different topics. They spend a lot of time together. They can modify themselves however they want to. It's they the can modifying have, yourself part. They can have lots and lots of children. Um, anyway, it sounds kind of awesome. Um, and it's, it's a paradise kind of dreamt up by by someone. So, yep, that's, all, that's it. That's all you need to know about the book now. You don't need to read it. <laughs> you got it. It's a fantastic book. Well, I've already heard that, so I, I guess I don't need to read it to, to know how fantastic it is, right? right. No, I'll check it out. It's on my it's on my list. Here's something that is definitely spoken about um, in in newspapers because it's quite sensational, but it's not spoken about by serious political candidates, okay. at least for the most part. And that's things like settling other planets. Mm. I yeah. think it's, it's spoken about minorly in terms of funding different um, interplanetary. Um, space exploration programs, yeah. but when it comes to like settling Mars, yeah, it's interesting that I guess I guess one reason for that might be, and this is something I can't remember where I heard this as as a general rule of considering what candidates talk about, but it was years ago that a lot of these things, if they have a trajectory of success that was like fifteen years, well, you're going to be in office for max of eight, and you're running, you're going, you know, you're running for a four year term, so not you're, if you're, you're a senator, yeah, right. But if you're running for president in the United States, you can serve for two four-year terms and that's it. Then you can't be president anymore. I'm assuming, I don't know why I spelled that out. Everyone knows how. I'm assuming even <laughs> European listeners know that there's something like that over here. 
if you have a 15-year track plan that would just reform education and make everything awesome, well, you don't have time to implement it. So you don't, you're not going to waste time talking about it, maybe, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, we're, we won't be on Mars in eight years. You need to show results fast. Exactly. If, and big, yeah. big things don't happen fast. So maybe, maybe that's why some of these things aren't on there. But as a general rule to keep in mind, I guess, as far as the interplanetary thing, that does seem like a selling point that would at least get every nerd to vote for you. <laughs> and there are, there would are, it though? Mm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I, for one, would not be convinced. I'm not, I'm not convinced. I, and I, I was saying somewhat, somewhat jokingly, but I mean, it would be nice if one candidate was like, hey, you know what? This Musk guy seems to have some idea of what he's talking about. Let's, uh, I, I want to bring him in on, at least for lots of meetings, even if he doesn't have time to be a cabinet member. And we're going to look seriously into what he's doing. Maybe give him all the money that he wants. And, uh, like he doesn't want that much. He's already super rich, right? But maybe give him a dedicated landing pad. I don't know, whatever it is. <laughs> we're, we're going to work with, we're going to work on these cool things that, are not just fun, but useful tech, right? Well, the government's already partnering with private satellite launchers to um, go to the space station, for example. Well, it's because they don't want to pay NASA to do it. it. <laughs> Resupply but, it. Yeah. Something else that somebody mentioned that I think falls under the same purview as the it's not going to happen in 48 years is the heat death of the universe. Oh, Jesus. Is what, is what somebody suggests as an important issue that candidates and the press... I mean, I Gosh, think that's in the... almost no one ever talks about the heat death of the universe. Everything's going to die and there's nothing you can do to stop it. But uh, we have so it's many other billions things. Billions of years out. Yeah. yeah. Billions. But yeah, probably, so like probably the, trillions. The, 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 the headline Sorry, is like... Sorry, trillions. <laughs> I, I, that's what I'm hearing, trillions. I'm actually well, not sure. Well, because it's five billion years until our sun burns out. Yeah. Thought, well, how much longer after that? A lot, I'm assuming. At least a week. But the... I think what could a candidate say other than like, yeah, at some point in the very distant future, the universe is going to basically wink out and there's nothing we can do to stop it. So vote for me. Right. So I think. So it, there's no solution. There's no, at least nothing that we've plausibly thought of yet. Yeah. Right? There's no so. solution. Nobody cares. <laughs> Not even I care about that right now. I don't even care. <laughs> and I have a lot that. of long-sighted goals. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it is something they don't talk about. That's technically true. All right, but I, there I, you have it, Russell. That's why nobody talks about he's up with the universe. <laughs> Russell brought that up. Yes, do, that sounds like a Russell sort of thing to bring up. Do write do write in and tell us why they should talk about it, or if there's something, if there's a steel man of that, because you you got to sure get started early. I'm sure there's something. I mean, you just stomp your just, ideas into the ground. I guess literally the earlier the better, but I mean there are other priorities, right? <laughs> yes. Um, I do think that you could get some cheap points, and it wouldn't even cost that much to say yes, we're in favor of of a interplanetary uh, humanity, right? Um, that's one sentence and you don't have to elaborate. You don't even have to know what you're talking about, but I think you get some, some wins that way. Uh, how many is some? I mean, let's think back. Nobody's mm. going after the vegan vote. Maybe more than you would lose. Whereas you, whereas, <laughs> whereas you might lose endorsing vegans. Okay. Uh, no, I mean, you might, you might not, you might lose votes, right? Cause you piss off every meat eater. And Trying they're, they're to get the vegan endorsement might, might alienate you from a lot of other people. Consider yeah. like, consider someone campaigning for the atheist vote, right? Like, there's uh, somewhere between 6 and 20% of the United States doesn't identify or would identify as atheist. And no one's clamoring for that vote because it would shun everybody else, seemingly. So I think part of it is that kind of cost-benefit analysis of, is it worth getting this many people pissed at me to get this many people to like me? I also don't think it's a very good signal. If you're trying to convince people of stuff, no one's going to care if you say I'm in support of interplanetary humanity because there's nothing you can do about it anyway. Mm. 
you can say that, and sure, both sides can say it, and it doesn't mean anything. Well, that you can-, can be like, I'm taking all military spending, and I am redirecting it. Ooh. All military spending is costing lots of jobs. No one knows how important those jobbies are. Even, I don't think presidents can even do that. They can cut but they could say, I'm in, I can say I'm in favor of doing that, and then not get votes. Yeah. That's true. Um, there was that, that presidential candidate some years ago. I think it was two elections ago. Mm-hmm. One of the moon base. Was that Newt Gingrich? Oh, no, that was much more than two elections ago. Was it? I think so. Yeah, in any case. Newt Gingrich hasn't run any time recently. Whatever the story is, that at one point there was a candidate who didn't end up being a major party candidate who wanted a moon base, and people made fun of him for it. So th- so it's true that, that talking about doing space stuff isn't enough to make you the president. So there's we do have one case example of that. Yeah. All right. Okay. How so- about electronic rights? That's wow. a fun topic. <laughs> this is actually something that I hadn't given that much thought about until, uh, I don't know if we want to name names or not. Um, Who was it? Do you remember? Chase. Okay, Chase brought it up. Talked to me about this like, a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a, I mean, it's something that I thought about, but I didn't know it had a formal name. And it turns out it's not just a page on Wikipedia. There's a whole thing on digital rights. The idea that you own your, uh, I guess, digital memory the same way that you own your mental memory. Mm-hmm. Like my iPhone knows where I've been, how long I've been there, who I talk to. Um, everything about that, and that that shouldn't belong to the government. That should belong to me. Yeah, like that—that that is as much me. And this your iPhone th- is now a sort of an extension of your brain. And in actuality, that will be some case. That, something like that will be the case in the future. Yeah, right? like more literally. Even. Yeah, yeah. So you know, even pre-neural implants. Whether I get like a GPS in my arm that you know interacts with my smart house um, mm-hmm. or something like that, right? So at some point, things will be literally inside your body. That will have digital components. Well, and- there's... No, no, no. There's already things literally inside your body. What uh, I don't know if you followed the article that Chase uh, sent or maybe posted on Facebook, but there are a lot of electronics in people's bodies right now, like mm-hmm. their uh, pacemakers. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Which they are not allowed to uh, fix or or touch in any way at all because of digital rights management. That's insane. Yeah, there... <laughs> okay. There's a good reason for saying that you shouldn't have an app on your phone that you can swing, like you can, you know, just your thermostat, mm-hmm. you know, just kill yourself. Because, I mean... Uh, but to to say that, yeah, it's not end-user modifiable no matter what, you have to go to technician because that's how the law is written. That seems like an absurd misappropriation of the intended use of... Uh, I know that you can treat Parkinson's with uh, electrode implants. There's, and, there's a uh, lot of electronics inside people now. probably shouldn't be able to control that with your phone, but you shouldn't have to... I mean, maybe you... Uh, maybe there's, there's you a hedge, should. There's a hedge there. Right. Maybe, you should, to, to maybe the if that, it's inside your body, you should be allowed to do whatever the hell you want to it. That sounds like a safer general proposal, maybe, than saying someone else should be able to. <laughs> well, and certainly safer than saying that you are not allowed to, uh-huh. and only someone else can. There's, nowadays, they have DRMs on tractors. Uh, in regular use, apparently, a tractor needs an oil change uh, every 16 hours of use or so. That's what he said, yeah. Yeah, so... More than once a day if you're running it all day. Oh, did we do it here on the podcast room? No, this was at the last last wrong meetup a month ago. Okay. Yeah. And and he was saying that uh, they have a little toggle on the on the oil... Uh, Reservoir thing. Yes. That's, that, the scientific, that's the scientific term. Yes. <laughs> that is uh, DRM protected so that you cannot change your own oil... And you have to call someone out and do it for you every 16 hours, even though changing oil has to be done every other day and is the simplest thing in the world. But because they put this little electronic thing on it, which you legally cannot uh, fuck with, they, uh, they, they can't ma- maintain their own tractors. Tractors are shockingly interesting. Considering, oh. <laughs> considering how, how boring they sound. Do elaborate. I mean, for example, um, when I was in GIS, 
Okay. A lot of these tractors are hooked up with satellite data. So, and, and they're able to take data for measuring nutrient levels in different parts of the crop and perfectly mix the fertilizer that's gonna it's gonna go on the crop in different parts are you serious yes for the correct nutrient level that okay is that, that, that is magnificently area. exciting that right that is not uh, yeah that's awesome I, I thought that you know big lawnmower no, no that's why i'm telling you i know that's exciting that's tractors. awesome tractors that's that is really interesting <laughs> That might have sounded sarcastic, but I meant that. Oh, but, no, no that, I yeah. know you did. <laughs> you, she can see my face. So, yeah, no, that's, that's, that is kind of mind-blowing. Think still, of all the other things You should still be able to change your own into. oil. Though. Yeah. And they could also, you know, plant different crops for different, you know, kinds of places. And a lot of that's automated and where they turn and everything. It's Take that, just... farmers. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, this is good. This is part of efficiency, right? That's right. It's no, one of the reasons we've yes. gone from 90% of people farming to less than 2% of people farming. No problem there. We can just keep that going. Efficiency all the way, right? Right. Yep. There, there could never be any downsides to that. <laughs> <laughs> never. Why does that ring a bell? Um, <laughs> but speaking of automated things, general uh-huh. intelligence, uh, general artificial intelligence... Yeah. Would possibly become a huge issue, uh, in, in, like a humanity threatening issue if, if it is not programmed correctly, which no one seems to be really talking about because it sounds too crazy science fiction y. Well, maybe it that. sounds that way because people who are in the AI feel like Robin Hansen said is, is saying, are saying it's 200 to 500 years out. I mean, some people like Robin Hanson, but there's other people that are saying that it could be as, as little as 50 years, and the important thing is to get started on it now. That's not in eight to... years. <laughs> you know how hard it is to get people to do anything about climate change? It's uh, actually affecting people. Right. Yeah, it's one of those things. Uh, there should be some way to spell out the difference between, like, yes, things get a little hard for us on Earth for a while when climate change gets out of control versus, <laughs> well, that that is the, the way of putting it, versus literally everyone who could ever possibly exist in the future will never make it because AI went bad, right? right? Or AI went wrong. Right. So there is, like, a, a utility weighing there that even though, like, it might be farther out and... You could even say less likely makes it way more important anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's, if there's people working on creating a god, we should be at least a little bit concerned that this god is not a bad sort of god. Agreed. So there's a there's a future future items discount, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's one of the things that's going on there. The other thing is that it may be that there's a general consensus in most people's minds, that it's incredibly unlikely. I am actually very happy that this has been getting more and more traction recently. There's been a lot more people coming out for this. Mm-hmm. There's several foundations that are now looking into the problem that have been created over the past few years. And I think this is one of the uh, areas where people like Elias Zaryakowski should get some credit, because he was on the forefront, and even though no one wants to, very few people... Uh, are willing to say, yes, I was influenced by him. He was a a large driving factor in the early years to actually get this sort of research started Speaking of Will to Ma- draw attention to the problem. Speaking of Will McCaskill again, I know that he mentioned Yudkowsky as far as one of the earliest people to start talking about AI safety and all that sort of thing. So yeah. somebody's not afraid to associate with him, and Will's a pretty cool guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sam Harris just came out with a TED Talk last week on AI risk, and it's like, 14 and a half minutes worth checking out. If you've never considered this problem, it's a 
great quick introduction, uh, then read Super Intelligence, um, which is a little more of an investment. Uh-huh. But, uh, I, I think that's by Nick Bostrom. That's right. Yeah, I think we could easily be 10 years behind where we are right now if it wasn't for Eliezer. Speaking of less than 10 years advanced on this than we are now. And 10 uh, years can make a huge amount of difference in something like this. I think if God King Elong were to run for president, he'd become president almost immediately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but he wasn't born in the U.S. I want to insert now that I don't think that any of these people are gods or kings. That was meant an obvious jest. Uh, To anyone who wants to quote mine, you're doing so disingenuously. I am disappointed. We can fix this problem. By? Uh, Making them god kings. Can we do that? Well, not us personally. Oh, then forget it. That's not a lot of work. <laughs> I'm not willing to collaborate with people. That's, that sounds exhausting. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's another... Maybe if there was some sort of singleton around, <laughs> they could do that for us. That's another question. Um, is it worth it to to raise up these, these subjects into the political sphere? Or is that actually um, something that might make them more divisive and difficult to take action on? I See, that's a good question because there's only so much political capital you have. And I think that is one of the reasons people don't in general very often talk about animal welfare. Because you only have so much political capital to spend on issues and most people don't see that as an issue that it is worth spending their resources on. They'd rather talk about global warming or... uh, or the minimum wage or something, something that they personally feel is more important. So there's a personal risk to people for bringing it up, mm-hmm. but is there a risk that otherwise topics that people wouldn't disagree about might become politicized in some way? That's exactly what I was thinking when you mentioned the question was, what if, you know, the Reds, you know, were like, you know what, this AI thing is a thing. And then the Blues would have to say, no, it's not. Mm. And... uh would they have to? Uh, there they, are, some of them might feel like they have to. Let's there are bipartisan issues. There are. I wonder how... I guess I don't know enough about political history. I'm sure something has come up lately that both sides agreed, yes, this is actually important. But it's easier to think of examples where they don't think that. Right? Uh, it so is. Someone, it someone is because them. those get a little bit more traction, don't they? That's true. Everything, Something that everyone agrees on, people can get behind. But maybe I like think in egg- general, nuclear proliferation is uh, both sides are against it. Hopefully true. I would. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there's an example of being able to come together on a serious risk, maybe. But I wonder if it's like an edge thing, you know, like AI is not super mainstream yet, maybe in a it, few years. Yeah, it but really if, does. If one take side a... were to jump out and say something, then the other side might feel inclined to put them down for it. Look, they're thinking, they're agreeing with all these yeah. nerds or something. Or, right? <laughs> or uh, start awarding Golden Fleece Awards. What's that? For getting fleeced. Oh, I don't even remember what what politician did this way, way back in the day, but they were looking at different expenditures for research, hmm. uh, government expenditures for, for all sorts of different research programs. And some of them sound ridiculous, but are super important, like collecting grizzly bear scat for DNA, okay. right? So to figure out how many different bears there are in a certain area or all sorts of different information about them. Mm-hmm. And so he'd be like, and he would read them off, read off these descriptions Think about the Ig Nobel Awards, right? Right, right. So um, he'd be like, our taxpayer money is going to this project that sounds silly, but is actually super important. And it wins the Golden Fleece Award because oh. we, taxpayers, you just got fleeced. Oh. Yeah. Actually, so that's, a, that's one way that it can happen, that a lot of these things cost a lot of money, yeah. right? Potentially cost a lot of, of taxpayer money and... If you are concerned about big government spending and you're concerned about um, about people 
losing their income to projects that they haven't approved to approved of personally, then then that's one direction to go on that. That is interesting. I do have a candidate related question to somebody who's no longer on the ticket. I know that Bernie Sanders talked about universal income. Did he do so anticipating projected loss of jobs or was that just something he liked? Does anyone know? I didn't follow him that closely. Because that, 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 that would be an interesting example of a candidate that did actually care about an issue that likely will be a problem in 20 years, right? Yeah. So, Can I bring up one last one that I just read about, I think, yesterday? Please do. Sorry, no. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the possible coming of the... The possible ending of the age of the gun. Which, it, it, it was... Why are you saying that this is something that's not extremely talked about. What, what, how is this different than the whole gun control? No, no, no. This this is not in uh, gun control at all. This is uh, the issue that... So, back in the bad old days, of which there are many, but uh, pre, pre-firearms, the uh, political power was wielded by people who basically spent their entire lives training to be the killer elite and spending vast amounts of capital on things like full body suits of metal armor and war horses, things that are really expensive that the average person could not uh, afford. I remember things differently, Inyash. Okay. <laughs> but I'll say I'll get into that in a bit. Because they've okay. both been around that long. Yeah. Right. God, I am younger than I thought. But uh, the, the, <laughs> uh, so a lot of political power was uh, projected, Sorry. right, by uh, this by a small elite group of people who spent the, the warrior class, and uh, once militias were easily could easily go up against these people with only a few weeks of training and no more than a metal tube and some gunpowder it it quickly brought down that whole regime and now people had well governments were much more concerned about their people rebelling and were also i've heard it argued helped bring about the whole middle class uh, as as a thing that exists in history because uh aside from the merchant class but uh People now had some political power. They could organize a large enough group of them and attack the government itself, rather than being uh, beaten down by the warrior classes. And with the growing power, I guess, of drones, the growing what is it? Independence? What is it when you are not dependent on a human to automation. control you? Automation. Okay. The, the drone warfare nowadays, you could get back to a situation where. A single person with vast resources can lay claim to a large territory and doesn't have to care about having other people there to help him defend it. That's interesting. That's a really interesting supposition. Where'd you read this? Oh, I don't remember. It was just yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, it was just yesterday. I don't remember exactly where it was that I read it. All right. He'll find it and we'll put it up. (laughs) I will find it. But there, you know, as, as we were, as I was saying earlier about the basic, um, basic guaranteed income, as a way to combat the fact that most people will not be able to be employed in any sort of meaningful way, the thing that people have is there's lots of us and we can band together and we can take these resources and redistribute them in what we consider equitable. Whether or not it is equitable, there is the fact that there's the threat of violence uh, of the masses, and which is one of the reasons people think that capitalism was reined in a bit in the 50s because the world governments were seriously worried about communist revolutions, even in America, and so we're throwing a lot of concessions out to workers. Uh, Once that is no longer an issue, you can just say, I am one of the elite 1% that can still make a living, 
I own all of Colorado, and I have the factories I need to make drones to defend all of Colorado. What are these other people going to do? They they could just starve to death outside the borders because they can't fight against um, factories full of drones that are just being pumped out. That's an interesting case. Whereas before, one man could not defend Colorado by himself. He would need a bunch of other people on his side right. to help him defend it. That's really interesting. I want to read the, the long version of that. Okay. Lots of futurism going on here, folks. Yes. So what was your uh, alternate remembering of the past? Oh, oh, um, it was just a bunch of stuff about knights. Okay. Super interesting. Not going to get into it. Not important. Aww. Listener feedback? Listener feedback. Yay! Steven, do you have Russell's comments? I do. On our very first listener feedback episode, we read a section of an email from Russell and and apparently it was the wrong section. <laughs> and actually, having reread the email, I still had it in our in our folder, and it was kind of obvious actually what part was the feedback and what part wasn't. So now I feel bad. Sorry, Russell, but I told you we'd get we'd we'd fix it, and here we are. Quote: The halo and horns effects describe the tendency of overall impressions of something to influence one's opinion of specific properties of that thing, which we kind of talked about one or two episodes ago. The halo and horns effect might have been last talk episode. About the halo and horns effect, yeah. Back to the question. Back to the feedback. It's also true that reputable people are hard to come by and that reputation is a good heuristic for believing true things in situations where we lack direct evidence. How do we reconcile this? How do, how do we reconcile this? Should we consider Bill Gates' concerns about AI safety important because he's proven himself successful to be... Wait, excuse me. Because he has proven himself to be a successful IT business person? Would the same line of thinking indicate that we should b- trust the Coach brothers about climate change? Coke. 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 Whoops, there I am, not knowing what I'm talking about. They're financial people or something, right? Yeah, uh, they're they're major funders of a libertarian think tank. Great. Well, that shows how much I things. that shows how little I know about stuff. They also um, make a lot of money off of uh, things that emit carbon. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, so do we all. Well, welcome. To especially the club. me in my in my backdoor business in coal mining. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> got the black lung. The black lung, Bob. <laughs> um. So uh, the the claim is that we have a great heuristic for determining if information is true or not, right, or reliable or not, mm-hmm. and that is the reliability of the person who is giving us the information. Right. That's, that's a reasonable heuristic a lot of the time. Yeah, that, it is a reasonable point. heuristic a lot of the time. That's why we have it. <laughs> and also because it is a huge pain in the butt to go do all of the original research yourself. Right. And um, become a specialist in all these different fields. And Literally impossible. It Well, it is now in, because we're not in permutation city right. or ends <laughs> where you can where you can learn whatever you want because you get all the time in the world and all the resources sorry I, I think he's I kind of feel like he's uh, conflating reputation with the horns and halo effect though because that bias is specifically about if one thing is good about someone you tend to think everything else is also good and you right. give it more weight whereas reputation is more along the lines of i know this person is good at this thing so i should trust him at this thing mm-hmm. i don't know if he was so conflating them gates, or if he's using it as a specific example bill just Ga- to, yeah yeah sorry so bill gates in the situation um if bill gates is concerned about ai we know that we know that he's actually involved at high level tech right and would actually know about things like that. And so we should value his opinion. But with the Koch brothers, they are not only not climate scientists, they also... We, we can say that the Koch brothers are incentivized to not be supporters of climate change reformations. This right. is correct. Yes. yes. I, I want to um, <laughs> contest the Bill Gates is a good authority on AI. Okay. 
I don't know that he is. I mean, he might be because he worked on uh, operating systems back in the 70s, 80s, and then was very successful in business does not necessarily mean he has kept up to date on research and really knows much of anything about AI. Well, That's true. I don't know that he's even said anything about AI. Yes. yes. Oh, okay. Well, good for him. Uh, <laughs> um, well, so I think this is something that the question alludes to is, uh, you know, I might not take my neighbor's position on astrophysics seriously, but I'll take Neil deGrasse Tyson's word for it. And that's because he happens to be an expert at it. Yeah. Um, so that's a reasonable the, the, shortcut. Yeah. So the domain, the domain of expertise is kind of a good narrowing down of when to know whether to check your, your heuristic for. But do you believe what Neil deGrasse Tyson says about, say, evolution? Or, uh, well. No, he's actually terrible on that stuff. So that that's is, why I brought it up. I was actually talking to somebody <laughs> about this. He's actually, like, he's flippantly, uh, neglectful of considering AI risk as well. It, it does come down to what they know about. And so you have to do a bit of research into, it's like if I had no idea who Bill Gates was and someone said, Bill Gates says AI is uh, not a problem. And Lindsay Lohan says it is. Who do I, whose word do I take for it? Well, not knowing who either of those people are, I'd have to do a little homework to see whose word I should take, or I could do the homework myself. But, but then you would take, decide Bill Gates. Probably. Right. Maybe Lindsay Lohan's a secret AI enthusiast. I don't know. Um, I, I pulled a name out of my head. I should remember the one of that, that, I think this brings up Eliezer's argument that uh, argument screens off authority, because we would both think that Bill Gates is more of an authority than Lindsay Lohan on these things, since he works in tech- worked in a technical yes. field, and he's older, and he is possibly smarter? I, I don't actually know how smart either of them are, but my prejudice says, say, the nerd with the glasses is smarter than the hot chick, right? The billionaire. Going, I know, going entirely the, off of stereotypes. Wow. I So... That. I don't believe you. I don't think that you're going entirely off of stereotypes. I think that you have additional information about both of those people. Okay. Like building a tech empire. Right. That actually is something that you reasonably have to be very intelligent to do. And to not bankrupt your company after Windows 8. So, <laughs> oh! Um, <laughs> he wasn't He wasn't the CEO at that time. Oh, that's how he dodged that bullet. <laughs> right. Just shoved, shoved up some, some patsy, right? Yeah, he'd retired a while before. <laughs> so, um... But I, I don't... I mean, I assume Lindsay Lohan is slightly more uh, intelligent than average, but not as intelligent as uh, Bill Gates. But I don't have anything to base her intelligence on, aside from the fact that someone successful generally uh, tends to have something going for them so that they aren't fleeced by uh, all the people around them trying to take their money. Sure. <clears throat> so you have other reasons. I just, I don't want you to say that it's a hot chick versus a nerd with glasses. Okay. I do not accept that from you. Okay. Okay. All right. We accept better. We we expect better, better from me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, fine. Um, I see. I see where you're going with painting the broad picture and using like general stereotypes, though. Mm-hmm. Um, what but was I, but uh, oh, sorry. As I was saying, yeah, because I, I got off. I totally got off on the subject by using those terrible arguments, and I'm sorry. But what I was saying <laughs> is that. Uh, but if you are presented with arguments from both people without knowing who they are, you can judge based on the arguments. Because maybe Lindsay Lohan has spent a lot of her free time researching this sort of thing and talking with uh, AI researchers. She, maybe she has access to those, you know, people. Who knows? And Bill Gates is probably spending all his time working out the Malaria Foundation and about uh, getting better schools, since that's a lot of what his uh, Gates Foundation does now, and hasn't had the time to look into uh, AI research, just because he's busy doing other good things, you know, not because he's a tool or anything. And so Lindsay Lohan may have better arguments, and the fact that the arguments are better thought out and presented screens off that authority effect. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's true, but that also does give the benefit to, like, the better arguer. 
mm-hmm. or to the, to the better presenter, right? Yes, it does. So, like, uh, ah, good call. It it there is something to be said about looking into somebody's past credentials and all else being equal. If my crazy neighbor and I don't really have a crazy neighbor, so I'm this is a completely fake person. Mm-hmm. Uh, my crazy neighbor wow. and uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson tell me something, even if it's tangentially science related. Even knowing t- Tyson has some failures of of perfect information there, mm-hmm. I'd probably take Tyson's word for it tentatively until I have a chance to look into it. Right. right? Uh, so like, but... well, but but should you? Because we already have some examples of him being less than rigorous. That's with true. Some of his opinions. So, but it, also very a... confident in his presentation. Yeah. Exactly. Right. But so yeah, it's kind of both. So so it um, as again we talked about in the previous episode, it hinges on you being able to deeply understand both of the arguments and understand the evidence that's presented and be able to compare it. Right. Yeah, right. But in the event that you can't, I mean, in the event like, that you can't, it doesn't matter what they're saying because it, you're gonna you're gonna do you're gonna go with the authority figure. This is kind of what we talked about in the conspiracy episodes or conspiracy theories episode, where you no one has the time to really become an expert on everything, and you end up having to trust some people. Right. So but then, you're then an it, expert on something. Then, then it comes down to like who do you, who which experts do you trust, right? Like, I, I think you're best off trusting the consensus if there is a solid consensus. That sounds because like... Because then at least there is a large body of experts who have all looked at things and come to the same conclusion. Yeah, that's that's sort of what I was trying to go with this, but then I was... I was having a conversation, I was having a conversation with somebody, uh, actually before I came here, who is a very intelligent person and a biblical literalist, like Talking Snake and Flood and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if you think that we so, live in a fun video game... <laughs> so... Like, to him, he might hear that and he would say, yeah, I did go to the experts. I talked to all the elders at my churches, mm-hmm. right? So it's, I don't, I can't think of right off a general way to combat all of that. And that might be beyond the scope of that question. I do want to get some more listener feedback, but. Especially if he goes to his elders a lot and they usually have good answers. Or at least satisfactory answers to him, right? Right. Well, so, I mean, just answers in general about life things, you know? Sure. Oh, yeah. If they have answers in other domains where they aren't yeah. obvious or like where they aren't uh, saying read the Bible more closely. Right. right? So, yeah, that's that's a good point. That is a tough thing and kind of far afield from Halo and Horns effect. How do you combat them? I guess do your own homework to the best that you can and look into the reputation of that domain of expertise of the person who's giving that argument if you can't. And, that, that's for, and for where Halo and Horns hits you most, which is in people that you know and various personalities, um, just try to take each argument on its own merit. I do do a kind of thing where, or I do kind of do a thing that if I find myself agreeing to something strongly when I'm reading, I try to, if I notice myself doing that, I'll try and go back and read it and tear it apart. Cause I think like the fact that I'm really enjoying this and, you know, liking the delivery and agreeing with it, I, I want to try and counter for that and make sure that it can stand up to, like, I might not have been as scrupulous reading it as I otherwise would have been. Yeah, I think so I, I do, that. I do deliberately try and go back and do that. That might be one way too, to try to uh, keep that in mind. So yeah. do we have other listener feedback? I, I also like just having a wide variety of friends because when there are people that are invested in one opinion, they tend to have better arguments for it. This person uh, said that they think we spend a lot of time talking about the moral value of simulated beings, and they are not sure that simulated beings necessarily have any weight at all. Uh, They put forth the example of, if I were to give you a black cube and say that in this cube is simulated the entire Earth, aside from the cube itself, obviously, for recursion reasons, would you give it the moral weight of the entire world? They said specifically that um, if a simulated being only interacts with a simulated environment, they have no moral weight at all, and that 
you know, what if he can prove that the black box actually has a thousand people or the entire world within it? Does that change our answer at all? And they went on to say that if the black box was hooked up to a camera and a robot arm, they would maybe assign a tiny bit of moral weight to it because now it can interact with the world a bit, with the outside world, but still not very much. Yeah, I don't think their opinion holds much water. No? No. Why is that? Let's say that you copy-paste the entire world and all of its inhabitants, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Does does one version have more moral weight than the other? That's just kind of... I don't know. It's a silly question. Yeah. Um, and as for simulate, simulated, if... I guess the question is, if, is it perfectly simulated? Let's assume yes. Assume yes, and then Yeah. Right? Because otherwise you're talking about dualism. You're talking about like, oh, do we all have some magical, magical soul stuff that's floating around um, right above our heads, you know, recording everything. I don't know what it would be doing, but, or are we like the idea of philosophical zombies? So have we created a, a world of philosophical zombies? No, because there's no such thing as that. Yeah, no, I, 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 See, I agree on one hand, and part of this is because, first of all, I expect that there is a good likelihood, if I survive that long, that I will someday be a simulated being. And so I would like for there to be uh, some moral consideration given to me. And I'm also not entirely sure that we're not in a simulation right now, which is just my own personal little weird hang-up, and I apologize for that ahead of time. You don't have to apologize. Okay, but I would, I would prefer that the substrate I am being simulated on if that is what is happening were not to be turned off. Right. Also, we are just just the way that we understand the world. It's not like we're we're special little amazing. Right. We're we're all we're all groups of molecules and atoms and energy and in, in different patterns. Yeah. It's not like we're something like freaking special compared to something that is an exact copy of us. Like yeah. that's just but right. to bring it back to uh, what I was saying in the previous episode, the you know the only rights that anything has is the rights that it can convince other people to grant it, whether it's by being charming or by force. And the the box does not have ability to affect anything in our world, and so we. It, it wouldn't really have any rights aside from those that, or any moral weight aside from what we could convince other people to, to grant it, you know? Right. Uh, again, it doesn't have to do any convincing. Right. Right. Um, I think the, cause he used the term intrinsic moral weight, and I think yeah, that is again has... the problem with, yeah, there is no such thing. Yeah. And so, should we value so those do things? You have a, yeah, do you have an obligation to trillions of of life forms um on in including including the all-important human life forms um even if they're not in the same form as you yeah probably yeah obviously you do like i do want to weigh on normal people would what's that i want to weigh on this weigh in on this too Mm -hmm. um so this was the question from dark lord azriel uh i think was a batman character other than the dark lord part I bet so, Azrael is a lot of a lot characters. of things. I I, I know I'm him pretty sure the uh, the Smurfs uh, in the Smurfs the name of the cat that always was hunting them was oh, called right. Azrael. That's probably where Batman got it from. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I I found your question on Reddit and uh, assuming that we could verify that the black box contained a perfect simulation of Earth other than the black box itself, 
Um, if we could verify it, it's hard to see. I'm, I guess I'm kind of just seconding what Inyash and Katrina said that it's hard to see why it would matter. Like the substrate that you're running on would make a difference as to how much you matter. Like, but there is something to be said about the externalities that your behaviors have. So like, uh, if killing you would destroy the environment, then that's a bigger concern than if it wouldn't, right? Like mm-hmm. we talked about that with, with the animal stuff. Yes. Um, but that doesn't mean that like you literally have no matter if the, if the environment isn't affected by you. Yeah. Um, somebody handed me a box and said there is an entire copy of earth in here. And also it's going to destroy the earth that you live in. Mm-hmm. I'd be like smash. <laughs> right. You know, it, because, uh, you know, half a dozen of one and six of the other. Right. <laughs> so I read a interesting short story, which I think was actually uh, posted on the less wrong forums back when it was, when it was a thing. Uh, that an alien race had contacted humanity and they had several million of these little black pebbles and in each one of them was a simulation of Earth and they were torturing everyone on that Earth unless we were... And they would stop doing that if we were to give them 10% of our GDP. I, I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember if this is exactly what it was. If we were to give them 10% of our GDP every year, the entire Earth's collective GDP, uh, then they wouldn't torture these millions of Earths of people. And the... Uh, there's a lieutenant reporting to his general. He's freaking out. He's like, what the hell do we do? Do we declare war on them right now? This is going to be a hell of a fight. These are really advanced aliens, but we can't just let them do this. And the general's like, whatever. He takes a pebble, crushes it, and says, I'm going back to bed. Fuck off. Because, I don't know. We don't negotiate with terrorists. I mean, not just because we <laughs> don't negotiate with terrorists. It was it was implied that those simulations had no moral weight at all. Hmm. Or that if they did, it was it was the aliens that would be... That would be considered the, you know, moral bad actors in this, and we didn't have the responsibility to go out and try to rescue every single Earth that is being, that is being threatened. I think the latter's fair. Okay. Because what what are they going to do, right? Like, there's 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 no power, no no control there, and also maybe they'll get bored of spending all their time torturing Earths. Right. They know that they're not going to get anything out of it. Yeah. But versus if you if you give a mouse a cookie, I've been using a lot of phrases like that. If you if you give an alien ten percent of your of Earth's GDP, mm-hmm. then they're going to want a glass of milk. So for game theoretic reasons, we shouldn't like like Stephen said, we shouldn't negotiate with terrorists. Yeah, yeah. I think that he was being sarcastic, but I sort of no, was. I think he was I, being somewhat serious too. I, I think it was also just it was. I'll I'll take both. Okay. Uh, so there's also you know like the the Pascal's mugging kind of reverse scenario, right? Where mm-hmm. so like when the when the in the initial question it's like if I told you this box had a million Earths in it and it's or a trillion beings in it, like okay, so it's a shoebox, you're insane. But if I could verify it, then this becomes like an important question, right? So the verifiability is kind of what makes that a serious conundrum. If they just handed me this pebble saying this is this contains a trillion beings, you better give me a billion dollars a year or I'm going to kill them all or something like that's I don't know that's that's a that's a weird set of affairs but I don't know if we did all that much justice to the question but I will say I think you don't necessarily have a moral obligation to a being unless you had something to do with them coming into existence so future civilization shouldn't care about your emulated mind I don't know I don't know I I, I think yeah I would like them to think something about it not 10% of their GDP care about it. <laughs> Just to keep you guys running. I mean, computers got real scarce in the future. <laughs> I hope that I could provide something of value that they would want to keep me around for, or 
If not, I could threaten them with something that would allow me to stay alive, but I don't know, in the end, why should they care? Or just that, that is the end old question, right? <laughs> so you're like, my, my time is done. Yeah. And then that brings you back to, so what is the obligation of the guy who owns Colorado to feed these people instead of guarding the Colorado borders with his army of drones? Right. Uh, Everyone's going to think that he's a jerk and he won't have any friends. <laughs> he can make his drone friends. Thank you so much for listening. Um, you can comment on our subreddit for the Bayesian Conspiracy podcast. You can email us personally at BayesianConspiracyPodcast at gmail.com. Yes. Yes. And go to our website at TheBayesianConspiracy.com. Someday we just got to shorten all this to TPC.com. TPC. So I do want to say really quick, too, as far as a quick plug, because I don't think Enosh will do it. Uh, his podcast, The Methods of Rationality, will be coming back a week after this episode airs. So check into that. Yes, with the first chapter of The Metropolitan Man, which is a Superman fanfic, rationalist Superman fanfic, that focuses primarily on Lex Luthor. It's pretty exciting. Nice plugs. Bye! Bye! <laughs> See you in two weeks. Bye. <laughs>